0: This is John chapter 39 through verse 41. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Be to God, Amen. May God be glorified by the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I'm going to leave that verse up there. Many more believed because of His Word. I'm excited about this message, folks. I just can't help it. It just came together so well this week, and. Uh, i got to tell you, though, there are two things I've learned in life that I don't like. Two things. Well, there's probably more than that, but two in particular. The first one is redoing something that's been done wrong, fixing a mistake that someone else has made or my own. And the second thing is repeating myself. See, at our house, we're undergoing a major construction season. I'm calling it now a season, not a project. It started early August with a bad contractor who finally left the premises and didn't return early in September. I'm thankful that these folks quit because all the work they did needed redone, torn out, and restarted. At my expense, of course, I say mine, our expense, and um, I was thankful because they quit. quit doing bad work But I had to hire new folks to redo it. Now, I did say I don't like things being redone, mistakes like that. But I really meant I don't like things done wrong, especially those that inconvenience me. Paying to do a job twice is bad enough. But having to tear out the old job and pay for that to be done also is an inconvenience. So all of that I didn't like you might agree that that's something you wouldn't like either. But there's another thing I said I don't like, and that's repeating myself. I know I just said that twice. (laughs) And it happens many times in my life that I have to repeat myself. People say, huh? What would you say? Could you say that louder? I tend to tell something one time to to whoever's listening, the story or whatever it might be, And then I don't tell it again. Usually I remember that I've told it, so I don't want to repeat myself. Ironically, here I am preaching two sermons. Same notes. (laughs) Yeah, go figure. Talk about a repeat performance. If you ask my wife, she will tell you the illustrations often change between here and Palestine. That's because those parts are not scripted. The illustration, some of the illustrations, they just kind of show up. And and when I say them, I kind of try to forget that I said them, so I'll say something different. So if you think, "Hey, I, I like this sermon here," it's probably the same at Palestine. It's nowhere the same. Usually not. There's only been one that was like almost identical because it was so um, so hard to put anything new into it. And and this woman at the well, I, I love her story. I absolutely do. She's coming to the well. She hates doing it. She does it every day probably or every other day. Walks a mile and a half, two miles to the well and back. And on this particular day when she meets Jesus, she leaves her water pot at the well and goes back to town, which means she has to repeat the journey. Now me, I would have said, let's take that water pot back. And if I decide not to come back, I can decide not to come back. But she left it, which meant she had to come back. And I think that's uh, interesting. And here's what I want to share with you in, in, in verses before we get to the passage for today. The story that I, I'm not speaking on, there's a whole bunch of verses we just jumped over. But in, in verse 24, I'm sorry, 25, the woman says to Him, I know that the Messiah who is coming, who is called the Christ, When he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us all things. Now we think when Jesus is going to tell us all things, like about God, about the end of time, but Jesus is telling this woman about her all things. That he knows us intimately and can tell us to confirm with us the things we keep in our hearts secret, that he can speak out loud to us and say, this proves I know who you are. So, that's what she's saying. When the Messiah comes, He can tell us all things. And Jesus says in the next verse, I who speak to you am He. A lot of people say Jesus never says that He's the Lord or the Messiah. He says it right here. I am the Messiah. It is at that point, in verse 27 and 28 the disciples come back, see him talking to her, and as soon as they come back, it says the woman leaves her water jar and goes away into the town. She leaves the jar, goes back the journey to town, and says to them, come and see a man who told me everything I did, who knows all things about me. Could this be the Messiah? And that's what she says when she goes to the town. Now Jesus has this conversation about the disciples, about the food that he has, that they don't understand what is. Like she didn't understand the water that she was after, that he had different from that. And and just a little parallel story. She's coming for water. The disciples are going to get food. We need food and water to live. Woman gets the water. He talks about a water she doesn't know about. The disciples come back. Jesus talks to them about a food they don't know about, and they miss it. As well. And we'll get to that toward the end of the message a little bit because that would be a whole long message to cover all that food and water that we don't know about. But I will tell you this when she went back to town, her testimony made the difference to those people in the town that she went to share with. Between that morning and the time she went to the well, and left the well, do you think her story changed? With this encounter with Jesus, do you think her story now has a new part to it? (coughs) Wouldn't you say if you met God face to face, you'd have something else to talk about besides what you'd been going through every day, the same old, same old? I would think so. When Jesus confirms he is the Messiah, she goes and her story, I say yes, it's changed. And I think... There were others who would agree with me, including those who she went to tell. What would she have said on a normal day, returning to town with her water pot, to those men and people in the town? Not much. Remember, she's socially outcast. She's not welcome in their community because of her history. She's basically what they would call a, a worthless person because she's no longer part of God's favor because of her sinful life. And and knowingly sinful life. Living with a person she's not married to and already had five husbands. Most probably who are still alive. We don't know that. But it never calls her a widow. Never does it say a widow. So, you know, she's been separated and divorced from five men and living with the next one. Not married, which is socially unacceptable, let alone that women in that culture are seen as second class citizens already. So, when she comes back without the water pot, here's what I think the people said Where's your water? Where's your water pot? Did it break? Why are you not carrying water? That's what you do every day. Why are you not carrying water? And I think she said this. It's right here. I got water you don't know about. Oh, is there a well? A different well than that one? That you don't have to go there anymore? Yep. <laughs> you see, the conversation's different. Because she's not carrying her water pot. It changes that dynamic, but she's not talking about water. She's talking about Jesus' water. And what about that water that she didn't get to draw? (laughs) Does she still need it? Do you still need water after you have Jesus to sustain life? Do you still need to eat to live? Absolutely. Absolutely. But listen to this. Daily routine, or every other day routine, making the four-mile back-and-forth journey to the well for water. And she still needs it. But it has now become a secondary aspect of her life. What was the primary task and responsibility for her to sustain that relationship was, you get water, you can stay. Kind of how that was. She was like a servant mentality there. And so, she didn't bring the water. So she can't stay with this guy she's staying with, and there's a problem. But for her, it's a secondary aspect of what she got from Jesus was the living water. I believe she got it. I don't even question that because of her story, which we'll tell next week, about what happens to her next. After this encounter in this chapter, which history records, which is fascinating. But Jesus, has He not come? What remains the same in her life? Nobody listens to her. Nobody respects her. Nobody trusts her. Nobody associates with her. Again, she went to the well alone. At a time of day when nobody else goes because that's the only time she was welcome there was when she was alone. People say that's an assumption, but it's not an assumption because in that culture, you don't go as a woman to a well alone. You don't do it. But she had to. There's no reason a person would do that unless they were shunned society-wise. So had Jesus not come, her story is going to be the same at the same hour the next day or whenever day she comes, she'll be back for more water. And the next time, and the next time, her life would keep going the same with no difference in her story had Jesus not come. It would just be a repetitive cycle till the day she dies, believing she's alone and ostracized from the society and God because that's what people have told her. So when she gets to of town, Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of her testimony, which said, He told me everything I ever did. Now listen, this for us doesn't sound as compelling as it does for them. She's telling the men of the town, "Without the water pot, you got to come meet this guy." He told me, "I think he's the Messiah." He said he is. You got to meet him. He told me everything about myself. I didn't tell him, and, you just, and she's excited. And they're going, "Why are you?" Tell-? She says, "I don't care what our social culture says. I found something better. You got to see this." And they're thinking, "If you're willing to risk your life to do this, then this must be something worth listening to." If you're willing to risk your life to tell someone about Jesus, Jesus must be worth hearing about. Whereas if you're not willing to risk your life to tell him about it, is he worth telling about? That's the question that would be asked of her. In that society, a woman's testimony is considered invalid, which is why the Gospels have been proven so often to be true, because the testimony of Jesus' resurrection is told by women first. The women tell the story. And that would be considered invalidating the story. And so when this woman's testimony is considered valid by these men, something else is in the story. A power from God that came through her to those men. That means she had the living water. Otherwise, and here's the truth. Our testimony is invalid unless God's in it. It doesn't do anything for anybody. It's just about us. But once God's in it, it changes lives. How does your story change when you focus on the things God has done for you rather than what you've done? It changes, doesn't it? If you say, well, you know, how's your faith? Well, I go to church, I pray, I read the Bible. What's God done for you? Well, he took me to church. He made me pray. That's not what we say, is it? We say, I had nothing in faith. I was worthless. I was a wretched sinner. And God found me. God did this when I was broken. We're not talking about our uh, value. We're talking about God's grace then and what He did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And once we start talking about what we do for God, we start talking about the things that we do. But the things we do for God are only valid and valuable when He gets the glory through them. It's true. How impactful were those things that God has done for you to you? Life-changing, isn't it? Don't you become a different person when Jesus Christ becomes real and the Lord of your life? That's an impactful change that you know and others around you should be able to witness in you. Do those things that impacted you at that moment in that time impact you now? Is it still influencing your everyday thoughts and choices and how you live your life? How you share yourself? a good question isn't it but this woman who was rejected was accepted there was nothing she could do to make that happen nothing to change the culture around her but in one testimony she was accepted the word of God in her was accepted from a reject do you get that because the power wasn't about her, it was about this man who's the Messiah. I think he is. He could be the one. you got to come see. He did this. Uh, he was a man in me alone, and, and he was giving me life instead of trying to take from me. This man is not like any other man I've ever met. And he's a Jew who said he's the Messiah and talked about salvation and worship, I think you need to find this out. And so, it says, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked Him to stay with them, and He stayed two days. And many more believed because of His Word. Her Word many believed, and His Word many more believed. It's the Word of God, spoken, spoken, with God's power in it, that does what God sends it forth to do. Isaiah 55 says, I will send forth my word, and it will not return to me, but will accomplish the purpose and the thing for which I have sent it. It will accomplish it. I love that. I think that's awesome. It just speaks to my heart that God's Word can go forth. And if we let it do what it's supposed to do, then we have a testimony that a broken woman and a broken world can change and be transformed. And be a part of all God offers. And today when we have communion, to me this is not a difficult sell. (laughs) Not at all. I mean, we're at Christmas, we're at Advent, but it's not a difficult self to a believer. But to those on the outside looking in, hmm, being welcomed at this table comes as nothing less than a radical shift in understanding of who you are. Because that's what happens to all of us when we encounter Jesus. A radical understanding in our thinking has shifted. Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples while well, the woman is gone, says the disciples first have brought the food back, and they say, "Rabbi, eat." I love this. This is great. And he says, "I have a food to eat that you don't know about. Where do you get that food? All this here is a woman." Where, was her stash? Did you hear how they're thinking, right? Material. Jesus doesn't ever connect physical to physical. He connects physical to spiritual, to the Father, to who He is. He's always talking about that relationship, and they don't understand that. Listen to this. When the woman said, in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, will tell us all things. That word no is not the word or knowledge, like the kind you can study. The word know here is an intimate understanding of the truth based on experience. And what she says is, I know for a fact in my heart that when the Messiah comes, He will reveal all things to us. I know this. No one had to tell me this. It's experientially true. And when they say, Or Jesus says, I have a food to eat that you don't know about. He's not talking about that you don't have education about, but that you aren't aware of in your understanding. That you haven't experienced this food yet. So when the disciples hear that, they say, "Uh, Did somebody else bring him something to eat? (laughs) Did somebody else go to McDonald's and get this guy something while we were gone? Gosh, what's going on here? And Jesus says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. To do what God sent me to do. That is my work. I love that. You don't know about this. But after all, Jesus came to be a reality. Not just truth, but a reality to all who would receive Him and understand and know who He really is. In communion, we say, we receive Him today. (laughs) Think about this for a second. When we partake, we're partaking of His body and His blood. The reality of Jesus Christ, His life is His body and His blood. His life blood is the blood, which is life and the physical bread, which represents his physical body. So both aspects are there, life and physical. And we partake in communion. We're eating of the food that he's offering us that we didn't know about. And for a lot of us, before we know Christ, it's just bread and grape juice. That's it. But once we know who Jesus Christ is, it's no longer a few cent piece of bread bread and a few cent piece of juice it's life it's relationship it's hope it's the right word made flesh at the right time and made flesh in us in communion we receive him today are you ready for the word to be made flesh in you Are you welcome at this table to receive? Yes. 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 Absolutely yes. If he can take a completely ostracized person that had no hope from the society or herself of ever having hope of eternity with God and bring her to be a testimony and a life-giving witness... There's hope for us, too. This, my friends, is the right word for us at the right time. Would you pray with me? God, your word is yes in Jesus Christ. Yes, and always will be. And I thank you for that. And I give you thanks and praise in your precious and holy name. Amen.